journey through Exodus is sort of put in a real slow motion mode. I'm going to get to chapter 20 because we're going to look at each of the commandments separately. And uh, they are such a vital importance to our world, the world as a whole, our nation, our families, our individual lives. And so we're going to spend uh, a message per commandment, I believe, most likely. And so that will be... Part we're slowing down a little bit. Exodus 20. I'm going to start reading at verse 1 and stop at verse 6. Lord willing, Exodus chapter 20. For tuning in online, welcome to Little Sandy Baptist Church in Greenup, Kentucky. 3569 State Route 3307 in Greenup. If you do not have a regular church home of your own, we invite you to worship with us each and every Sunday, 10, 11, 6, and also Wednesday night at 7. We're reading tonight from Exodus chapter 20. Starting at verse 1, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Commandment 2, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. May the Lord's blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Lord, we're just thankful for the singing, the songs tonight. Lord, help us to win the lost. What a challenging song that is. Lord, help us to be about this coming week, be about your business, that we'll be ambassadors, helping others, pointing them to reconciliation in you. Be with us this week that we would be the witnesses we should be, me especially. Help me, Lord, to live a life where I have an opportunity to tell others and speak to others about your saving grace. Be with our message time as we look at this, the how of worship, the who of worship. We talked about the first two commandments, how important they are. May we learn together. May our homes be established and may we be faithfully teaching our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren the importance of worshiping only the one true God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Tonight is talking about worship. If you want to give worship a definition from perhaps the uh, uh, dictionary, it is the act of honoring, uh, act of honoring and loving a deity and loving a deity, idol or person in a selfless manner. The act of honoring and loving a deity, idol or person in a selfless manner. Oswald Chambers said, "Worship is giving to God the best He has given to us." giving to God the best he was given to us. And Mrs. McClure and I, after last Sunday's sermon, it was, or two weeks ago, we talked about how that we are, maybe it's Wednesday night, about the singing, how we're to give our joyful song, often is not necessarily the greatest of voices or instrumentalists that really move our hearts. It's the attitude with which the performer, it's not a performance, it's serving. That's what speaks to my heart when I know someone and they really genuinely want to do the things they are saying. And so worship we are to be worshiping. Interesting, John Husted, who was a very good organist, said somehow about 40% of the churchgoers seem to have picked up the idea that singing as church is for singers. The truth is that singing is for believers. And I really like this. The relevant question is not, do you have a voice, but do you have a song? And I've said it over and over. It's not, do you have a voice, but do you have a song? Now, the opposite of worship or the other side of worship is idolatry, is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that ought to be worshipped. 
So we have a lot of people who struggle with idolatry. They're not bowing down to Buddha, etc. necessarily. Now there are some of those. Uh, but there is just a, the idols of so many things. Our homes will never succeed. Our nation, nations of the world will never succeed apart from learning and obeying God's commandments, including the Ten Commandments. There is no possible way it can happen for all peoples, for all times. These are the commandments by which mankind is to run in their nations and their lives and their homes. Now, society's laws are arbitrary, are arbitrary. Uh, and so that means that they are simply, they are uh, chosen. They are like, they would be simply a random choice. Go one way or the other. Like, for example, some of America is on daylight savings time and some of it is not. And so it's arbitrary. I think, actually, we're not going to be having it in a couple of years. They voted to discontinue daylight savings time in our area, I think, in about a couple of years. But driving on the left side of the road or the right side of the road, that's arbitrary. Just as long as everybody does it on the same way. I remember in India, we were driving on the right side of the road, but I tell you, about four times I thought my life, my life was over. They drive so crazy. In India, no, no, no harm intended there, but they drive so close and they're constantly blowing on their horn. And they drive, and they would fly by. I'm telling you that it was like a foot apart sometimes. And I thought I was going to, I thought we were going home, Mabel, but we didn't. So, but, but, but. The left side or the right side, it just as long as those are arbitrary laws. If you go to England, you've got to learn to drive, I believe, on the left side of the road here at the right side. We say people are breaking God's commandments, and that really is a misnomer. People are broken when they disobey God. God's commandments are still as, as viable as, as they were when God commanded them the very first time. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. If I jump off the new ladder we have, about the 10-foot ladder over there, if I jump off that in the new building over there, I am not going to break the law of gravity. I am going to demonstrate the law of gravity and end up on my head on the floor and so if you're wondering why the one, the last light on the far side, the tallest light is cracked, it's because I was trying to put it back up there and then slipped on the ladder. And so I, it was either me going off or grabbing the light and breaking the thing. And so I chose to crack, the, crack that little plastic thing that goes over. It's replaceable. And I know I'm replaceable too, but it'd be a whole lot easier to replace that, I think. And I, hold it, I would certainly feel a lot better if we replaced that instead of breaking my neck. Three things. First of all, we need a proper conception of God, and that is the how of worship. The how of worship. We've already seen really the Ten Commandments is to teach at home. How do, why would we say that? If we just hold just a minute and turn over with me to Deuteronomy, we'll see it for ourselves. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the great Shema. And notice what it says right in the middle. It might be Shama. I'm not sure how to pronounce that right. You can talk to someone who knows how the Hebrew language. But it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto whom? Thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. I'm thinking the Ten Commandments are a home tool that parents are training their children in, and then it spreads out to societies. Really, it's for homes. So we had the who of worship, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now we have the how of worship, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything. This commandment really forbids false worship. It, it, it commands in true worship. Every negative Command has a positive to go alongside. For example, 
Don't stay outside means come inside. Don't make a graven image means then worship God. Don't make a graven image, then we are to worship God. So in reality, the second commandment is meant to teach true worship. Beyond the shadow of a doubt now, the best thing we can do to train our children and grandchildren is to worship the one and only true God. Worship means then, if you want to call it this, to ascribe or give worth to something. To ascribe or give worth to something. Tozier had this very very poignant definition. True worship is to be personally and hopelessly in love with God that the idea of a transfer of affection never even remotely exists. That's worship of God. True worship is to be so personally and hopelessly in love with God that the idea of a transfer of affection never even remotely exists. Arthur Pink says, It is a redeemed heart occupied with God expressing itself in adoration and thanksgiving. We are to be worshiping God. The best thing we can do is to teach again our children that. Why? Because we become like the object we worship. We become like the object we worship. I am surprised that my cat... Our new cat has not turned into a cat food can because it worships food like it, it wanted to today. She put the new bag of cat food in there and the cat wanted it. He loves to jump in the cat food bin and just start eating. That's the mother load of cat food. So we can't get in there. Keep that closed. We'll put it, what you need in your bowl. And so that, but that's we, what we worship. We often become just like. And you'll see people dressed like a movie star or, or dressed like some singer. What are they doing? They really are, by an essence, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Flattery. The proper conception of God, first of all, then there's no comparison to God. Idolatry is wrong because it gives a distorted view or false picture of God. Archaeologists tell us that in every society, civilization, there have been idols or little gods or goddesses, etc. In John 4.24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Literally, God is spirit. It's what he is. And th- that spirit is the very essence. The very, uh, it's what material thing, since God's a spirit, what material thing can represent God? Nothing. Can you imagine making an idol to represent the true and living God? He is outside whatever you can make. He owns the universe. He's beyond all of that. I like what one commentator said. Imagine trying to capture the totality of all who God is using wood and metal and stone, things he created, and then trying to confine him to an image of something that is part of of the universe, a prohibition against trying to define God by any kind of image that would seek to restrict him to that image or symbol, and this makes him less than he is. There is no way you can do anything that would represent the totality of God. He is infinite. He is so far greater, and to think that you can somehow Build an image. I thought it's quite uh, quite ironic that the gods that we build have the same personalities as us, and they hate the same things we like, or hate, and they like the same things we uh, we like. Interesting. Anne Lamott said that she said you can uh, safely assume you created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same thing or people that you do. 
You made her. You made your own God instead of the God of Scripture. So we are to worship the one true God. Nothing can compare to God. In Isaiah 40, 25, To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Lord, the Holy One? Chair. We can, we can liken one chair. That's a chair, and that's a chair. They're not exactly alike, but they are both chairs. I could bring another fan, and we could have, that's a fan, and this is a fan. They're maybe not be exactly alike, but they are both fans. We can compare one man to another, one short, one's tall, etc., but they're both men. We can compare a piano. We can bring another, that piano. We can compare those two companions. One's black, one's brown. One's in tune, one is not. One is fairly new, one is not fairly new, etc. One's built by, I can't remember what that was built by, etc., Interestingly enough, I just saw this week that Steinway has simulcasting now. Steinway pianos, they have this artist playing at some remote hall, and you can put this little thing on your Steinway piano, and your piano plays exactly in your house what he is playing halfway across the world at the same time. You're watching him, and your piano keys are going up and down, playing the exactly song that he is playing across the world. Isn't that amazing? They can do that. Little little machine inside the Steinway pianos. We find then that there's nothing to compare with God. He's the only one. You say, the, the Trinity is it's so hard for us to understand the Trinity. We can't understand it. By the way, what God would you want that you can understand? Can you imagine you make your own God and you're as smart as the God that you have made? What good is that? Our God is infinitely and forever infinitely greater than us. And I like that about God. Don't try to illustrate the Trinity. They'll try to, in your own mind, we can try to illustrate, but don't try to answer all the questions. God says there's nothing like him, even if you could find some God like God, you're not to worship him. And there's not, by the way. You can't worship him. God is to be worshiped only, except no substitutes. Imagine just for a moment, a wife finds your husband embracing another woman. And he says to his wife, now wait just a minute, honey, don't get the wrong idea here. Let me tell you what I'm doing. This woman is so beautiful and she reminds me of you. That's why I was embracing her. There's not a woman in the world going to buy that, is it? They're not. It's not. That's what, no wife's going to, and God doesn't buy it either. Oh, oh. Now, Lord, now wait just a minute, Lord. Don't get the wrong idea here. I was only worshiping this because it reminds me of you. I'm really worshiping you when I'm worshiping this. God doesn't buy that either. He doesn't. He doesn't. The I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, a holy jealousy. See, no athlete or singer has the right to be to totally monopolize the singing world. If I were to ask you, Who's the greatest singer you've ever heard in your life? My aunt Sandy would probably maybe say Engelbert Humperdinck. She liked, if you remember, did anybody remember Engelbert Humperdinck? Humperdinck? I can't hardly pronounce the name. Perhaps it might be uh, Carrie Underwood or Taylor Swift if you're really young. I, I, or, I don't know. Uh, I would say Pavarotti is the best tenor I've ever heard in my lifetime. He's and uh, Placido Domingo maybe. But there, there's no one that says, you know, I'm the absolute best singer ever, and everybody has to agree. No. But I'm telling you, but God has a monopoly on being God. He is the only God. He has cornered the market. There is only but one God, and he's not a part-time king. His throne is not a duplex. He is on the throne. And if you want to be biblical, you must worship the God of the Bible. By the way, Allah is not Jehovah. He's not the God of the Bible. It's a totally different, uh, uh, don't be fooled by that. And Judaism does not worship 
the right God. They believe in God, but not they don't think Jesus is God. So of the three monotheistic main religions, only Christianity worships the one true God the right way. Islam does not. Orthodox Judaism today does not. Proper conception of God involves there's no comparison. And how about modern idols? I like what Martin Luther said. Of course, Martin Luther lived in the 1500s. Whatever your heart clings to and relies on, that is your God. Anything you love more than God, anything you fear more than God, anything you serve more than God, anything you value more than God is your God. Some feel that idolatry is perhaps the greatest of sin. Why? Because Jesus said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. And if you're not doing that, perhaps then you are violating the greatest commandments. We have so many idols in America. There's the meology, there's the, has replaced theology. But it's predicted in 2 Timothy 3, 2, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. What are some of our gods? Interesting, in the Roman church, uh, there's a lot of relics. And Martin Luther, regarding relics, said these words. One claims to have a feather from the wing of the angel Gabriel. The bishop of Mance has a flame from Moses' burning bush. And how does it happen that 18 apostles are buried in Germany when Christ only had 12? And so he's wondering about the relics of some. Uh, some have the God of wealth. Let me ask you, there are 21,951,000 of these people in America. 21,951,000 millionaires. 21,951,000 millionaires in America today. Isn't that amazing? The God of wealth. Now, uh, money can be used for very good purposes, but it should not become your God. We understand that. Their theology is, someone has said, get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the lid. That should not be us. Some people have made a God of family. Don't get me wrong. We should be providing for our family, but your family does not come before God. The best thing you can do for your family is put God first in all things. That's the best thing. It is. It doesn't mean actually you love your family any less. I'll tell you, when you put God first, I believe it loves your family more because you are showing them what is important. Some have made a God of pleasure, a God of sports. Some have made a God of the iPhone. I really believe that's some people's gods. Now you ask, what can you? What would you rather give up? It's interesting. What would you? What's more? What would you? It's easier for you to give up your spouse or your children or your iPhone. It's interesting. You should see the answers. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it was quite telling of our culture. Jesus said, or uh, the Holy Spirit said to the psalmist, through the psalmist, at His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The right kinds of pleasures are with God. But pleasure is not to come first. If we are, we are an idolater. Uh, do you remember back in the 1990s, Michael Jordan had left basketball, and he comes back to basketball, and it was actually the heyday of the uh, NBA. I've got a little paper here from 2005. It refers back to 1995 when Jordan came back, and some said, I have hope again, because Michael Jordan's playing basketball again. And some even said it was the second coming, and he was even bothered by that. But we have so many idols today, uh, 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 singers, or heroes, or American idols, or rock music idols, or sports idols. We need true heroes. We need people who are worth admiring and emulating because of their character and integrity. I just, my wife just read to me this past week, Don Knotts. 
He was a military hero. She read all, I think it was like six or eight different awards he got in the military because he gave his life to encouraging and making the other people laugh in the military. And he and, and Captain Kangaroo, decorated, decorated military hero. Uh, the neighborhood guy was a decorated military hero. Uh, thank you, Mr. Rogers, decorated Mary. And so that we need some people to emulate. I'm not, I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm just saying we need some people... And it should be us. Our children should be emulating us. Our grandchildren, we should be living right so they can emulate the right things. A proper conception of God. There's no comparison. The modern idols. And the quick question about idolatry and art. It says over here, back over to our text, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Exodus 20, verse 4. The question is, does this prohibit then graven images, including religious art? I do not believe so because... Biblically speaking, the Old Testament tabernacle was a work of art, if you would. Solomon, but the temple, there were different works of art in the temple, depictions, etc. The veil of the temple were woven beautiful figures in that. The guardians of the mercy seat were cherubim, artistic representations of angelic beings. So the second commandment does not forbid religious art, but it does forbid idolatry. If you're going to make an idol and bow, that's idolatry. Not religious art necessarily, I like what Calvin said. Scripture and painting are gifts of God. If art is your master, you are an idolater. But if it is your servant, then it is your ministry. God is the author of beauty, but he hates idolatry. So to help us understand the proper conception of God, there's a difference between pleasure and indulgence, heroes and idols, and between art and idolatry. There's only one God. We are to worship him. Secondly, is a pervasive to be persuasive communication of God. There's a stern warning in verse 5, if you're still there with me. Exodus 25, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children until the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. It's wrong to, uh, wrong worship is iniquity, it is sin. The iniquities of false worship really show up in the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, I don't think this means God is holding children guilty for their parents' sin. You can see that other times in Scripture. But there often is a tragic result. For example, in our own society, when a mother has a child when she's on crack, it's probably often going to carry over to that child once they're born, and they're going to have to fight that. Pervasive community. There's a stern warning, and there's a biblical example. We need to turn with me, please, now to 2 Chronicles 26. A biblical example of this. Iniquities of the fathers upon the children as the results of that. 28, verse 4. If you would please, I'm sorry, 26, verse 4. Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles now, 26, 4. Second Chronicles, Uzziah. And he, Uzziah, that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah did. Uzziah lived, I believe, was served 52 years, was a godly king for the most part, However, his heart got filled with pride. Same chapter, 26, 16. And when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went to the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. He was withstood by the priest, but he became puffed up. And look what happened in 21. And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death and dwelt in the several house being a leper. For he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. So here we have a false worship. He said, I am going to do what the priests are going to do. No, you cannot. And he became leprous. 
Uzziah was a leper then. Jotham, his son, takes over 27-2, 27-2, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all his father Uzziah did. Howbeit, he entered not into the temple of the Lord, and the people did corruptly. The pattern started to take shape. First, Uzziah started at the end of his life a false worship. Now his son says, you know, well, dad had his troubles and, and he, with church, and so I'm just going to take a picnic every Sunday, and so I'm not going to be in church. And so there we have neglected worship. Ahaz comes on the scene, 27, verse 9. And Jotham slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Ahaz, his son, reigned in his stead. This is Uzziah's grandson, 21, 1, 28-1, 28-1. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, but he did not that which is right in the sight of the Lord like David his father. 28, 24. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. This is the grandson of Uzziah. Uzziah said, I'm going to false worship. I'm going to do what the priest is supposed to do. No, you're not. His son says, I'm going to close up. I'm not going to church. His grandson now closes up the doors and does not do that and starts pagan worship. So we had false worship and then neglected worship and then pagan worship as God's house is closed. I was just reading this week. I just wanted a little bit uh, back in 2000, uh, about 2014, 3,700 churches closed in America in 2014. By 2019, 4,500 churches closed in 2019. It's interesting, the church that in 1984, Stephanie and I went to Faith Baptist Temple in Louisville, Kentucky. A few years afterwards, it became a tumbling studio. The church completely closed, the school closed down, and the church was purchased by a tumbling studio completely closed. And our church plants are not keeping up. I think I read where uh, the statistic says we only are reaching about one-eighth growth uh, of the people in America, we are not planting enough churches. Where we lost uh, 4,700, uh, 4,500, we only planted 3,000. So we're going backwards. As our population grows, we're planting less and less churches. But the story's not over. If you look in 28.3 of our text, please, 28.3 of Second Chronicles, moreover, he, uh, Ahaz, burnt incense in the valley of Hinnom, of the son of Hinnom, and burnt his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out from the children of Israel. Uzziah's grandson offered his great-grandson to Moloch. All Uzziah did was try to take over after a great kingship, tried to take over and, and was wrong. His son didn't go to church. His grandson closed the church, and then his grandson offers his great-grandson to Moloch. Third and fourth generation of them that hate me. It's not being held accountable. It's just showing that the results of when we neglect the worship of the one true God, the genera- have you not seen it in the generations since I have been alive? There has been a less and less appreciation for God's word. We have not taught the younger generations as we should have. Pastors have not preached the word of God as we should have. We've not held the line as we should have and we're reaping a whirlwind, I believe. And you say, well, no generation would be so foolish to destroy their own children. And that's just, oh my goodness, we know better than that. We spent the last 50 years destroying our own children. A, pervas- a persuasive communication, stern warning, biblical example, a godly heritage. 
I believe that we will we could see likely see the same thing in our own country that has happened to Uzziah as we have wandered from God's direction, God's path. We are to be positive, influencing our children. For I, the Lord, am, the, am thy God, am a jealous God. But he says in verse 6, showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. And finally, very briefly, a prayerful celebration, a proper conception, a persuasive communication, and a prayerful celebration. Now, the last thing really comes home to roost with us. We cannot teach unless we are being the example. For instance, I could not teach my children to love liver or to love Brussels sprouts or to love oysters or to love calf's tongue or to love pickled pig's feet. I could not teach them that because I don't love those things. You say, you love playing the piano. Could you teach your kids to play the piano? No, I didn't have the patience to teach my kids to play the piano. Well, that's a different topic. But what I'm saying is, if we are going to train our children to love God, we must. Does it not make sense to ring home with you? We must love God. We do. He is the master. We are to give our lives over to him and let him use us. Many years ago, uh, friends... Uh, Fritz Chrysler, and I looked up his, he lived from 1875 to 1962. He died a year after I was born. He found an Englishman who had a Stradivarius violin. Just in case you're wondering, the highest price paid for a Stradivarius is $16 million. There's about 500 left in the world today. The Stradivari family uh, was very well known. Antonio Stradivarius was the one, I guess, the primary father who started the business, etc. But he found out an Englishman had this. And so Fritz Kreisler, by the way, I also was one of the very best violinists ever to live, we believe. Uh, but he found, went to the guy's home and offered to buy this Stradivarius violin from the Englishman. He said, no, it's not for sale. And so he got kind of rebuffed. And so he left. He went back another time and said, if I cannot buy it, can I just at least touch it? And I said, invited him in. And so he picked up the instrument and not only did he touch it, he tuned it up and he started playing this beautiful music that would make, if you've ever heard a violin played by a master, uh, Perlman or somebody like that, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful music. Uh, someone said you could hear birds singing uh, in the trees, you could hear the voices of angels. And for about 20 minutes, Fritz Kreister played this Stradivarius violin and tears started rolling down this Englishman's face. And he thought he'd gone too far. He said, oh, Mr. Sir, he said... I really want to buy this instrument. And the old Britisher said to him, it is still not for sale, but it is yours. For you are the master. And he gave him the violin. Nearly priceless violin. And that's what it's about. Our lives are to be given to the master. And if you will allow him to tune you up and to be play a song that glorifies him, it was uh, one of the commentators said this. Uh, it was, uh, I think it was Howard Hendricks. If you want other people to bleed, you're going to have to hemorrhage. If you want other people to bleed, you are going to have to hemorrhage. And what Seth sang earlier on, help us to see the loss, to win souls. We're going to have to be, it's going to have to be something we're concerned about, Pastor Tim. We've got to be concerned about others. We are. We must put feet into that and we must pray for God to give us openings to, to, to share with the lost. You must believe in order to teach our children. We must believe that he alone is worship, worthy of worship. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And so may we this week, May we honor him. He is so worthy of worship. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, 
As we think about this message, may we worship you in spirit and truth. We thank you that you are worthy of all these things. May our love for you shine forth to others as we live our lives this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.